It's the Stinking Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome into the Stinking Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schlereth, along with my co-host, Mike Evans. Scott the Hub producing the show. Uh, Michael, how are you, buddy? Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. I'm good. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm ready for my, uh, how many Fs? Family? Football? Friends? Family? family, Food? Food? food, Yeah. A lot of Fs there. Tons of Fs. I'm ready. Yeah. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. I Hey, listen. How much do we really have to do, right? I only do, I make the world's greatest cranberry sauce. That's what that's my I get up in the morning, I make the cranberry sauce. My mother handpicks cranberries um from bogs in Alaska. And they're just little tiny. They're not your big like ocean spray ones, you know, those big giant ones. They're tiny little juicy ones. They're about half the size of a raisin. And I make this great cranberry sauce and I that I I mean I like I clear out the kitchen. Everybody out of my kitchen. Then I do the cranberry sauce, and then I don't do anything but, you know, eat and lay around in my underpants and watch football until I'm ready to eat. Yeah, I snack all day until I'm ready to eat. Yeah, props to all the the guys out there that, you know, take an active role. I know we hear from all of them, hey, I do the turkey, I do the majority of the cooking. Good for you. Yeah. I am am like grunt labor Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm, Thanksgiving. mm -hmm. I get sent for the quick run to the store to, hey, we need more, you know, saran wrap or something, you know, tinfoil. Right. And I clean up. Other than that, I just. You just partake. I just partake. I gorge. It is so, and turkey. Think about turkeys. How good are turkeys? One, they're delicious. They are delicious. But who would have ever thought you could have both white meat and dark meat in one animal? Here's the way I look at it, Stink. You know, you always hear this time of year, oh, the poor turkeys. Listen, I blame the turkeys. Yeah. Stop being so delicious. Right, exactly. Stop being if so versatile. All, right, if you were all gristly, right? Right. If you were like a uh, pigeon. Right. Pigeon's not good. That doesn't taste great. Right. Nobody's having pigeon for Thanksgiving nope. dinner. Nope. No, you're having nope. turkeys. Having turkey. You guys are great. You're big. You got plump, juicy breasticles. And they're so flexible. I mean, turkey, turkey pot pies, turkey sandwiches. Right. Turkey tacos. Yeah. You can do anything you want with turkey meat. It's maybe the most versatile it's a good point. meat out there. It's I didn't the even... Julian Edelman of of like animals to eat. Do everything. You think Julian Edelman? I never thought of Julian. Like, do you think like uh what's the guy's name in you know Farber Beans and Chianti? What's that guy's name? <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins. What was his name in that in that movie? Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. Right. You think he's looking at uh, Julian Edelman like I'd like to have him for Thanksgiving, right? He is. He is the turkey meat of of humans. <laughs> oh, this turn this turned dark all right. of a sudden. I'm just saying. <laughs> I didn't see you're that the one coming. that said turkeys are like Julian Edelman. Well, yeah, but I was talking about the versatility. Anyway, okay. So let let let's. Let's talk about the football for Thanksgiving. I, I guess the most interesting team right away is Dallas. Oh, my gosh, right? With all the drama after that uh, loss to New England in which, you know, Jerry Jones once again threw Jason Garrett and the coaches under the bus. Jerry, I mean, here's the thing about Jerry Jones that's interesting. Like, if you start to look at the team that he has built from just a personnel standpoint, you could make a compelling argument that the Dallas Cowboys have – arguably the best offensive line in football. They have a quarterback who's playing at what? What level? Top five in the league? At the quarterback position? Close. Somewhere in there? Yeah, definitely top ten. Right. You've got a running back who's a top two or three running back in the league. You've got a receiver in Amari Cooper who is in the top ten in the league. 
right? Am I am I wrong on that? I mean, he's one of the top players at his position in the league. You've got Demarcus Lawrence is one of the top defensive ends in the league. You got a couple of top. I mean, Jalen Smith and and I, I know the other guy Vanderesh has been hurt a little bit, but even even you go down to Sean Lee, they got some of the top linebackers in the league. I mean, you put a roster together that should be a hell of a lot more competitive than it is. And so, if you want to bag on Jerry Jones um, for you know being a bad GM, I, I don't think you can bag on him when it comes to who you've put together on that roster. Now, if you want to bag on him for having a guy like Jason Garrett and saying that, hey, you've kept Jason Garrett long, he's one of the longest tenured coaches in, in football, simply because you can just control him and tell him what to do. Like, you've never really wanted to empower a coach. Now, I would say that that is your biggest issue. I don't know if that's a GM issue or an owner issue, but the fact that you've always, you know, you've always seemed to circumvent your coach's authority, I think that's the biggest Jerry Jones organizational issue because I don't think you've really ever empowered a coach to really be the man in Dallas. You know what I'm saying? But do you really want to put it on Jason Garrett? You talk about all these players. Is it totally Jason Garrett's fault that Amari Cooper did not even have a catch last week and got shut down by Stefan Gilmore? Is it Jason Garrett's fault that Ezekiel Elliott has been Ezekiel Elliott's been good, but since getting paid, would you say he's been great? I wouldn't. So is that is that all Jason Garrett's fault, or is it that hey, some of these players need to be held more accountable? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's an interesting thing. I think that ultimately, ultimately, if Jason Garrett is, you know, getting in your ass about something, right? If he's chewing you about something. Don't you just kind of roll your eyes and go, yeah, it's Jason Garrett, though. It's not really, you know, what's he going to do? But again, isn't that... It's the but, owner that pays but, me. But that's but that's Jerry's fault for creating that, a perception that... that this, that's isn't what the, I'm, this isn't the guy you have to listen to. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that as far as, you know, buying the groceries, I mean, he's been shopping at, you know, what, what is like Whole Foods, you know? He's been shop. He's gotten good groceries now, right? He's gotten the organic... You know, you get the organic meats and vegetables and like he's gotten some good groceries. And, you know, there's a team in place to put that together. But when you look at the talent level from a draft standpoint and everything else, I think they've I think they have they're they're pretty loaded from a talent level. But again, like I've said, when you're the owner and you have a radio show every week and you have, a, you know, this, that and the other um Doing press conferences right. in and, the locker room right. right after games. Right, and you're and you're circumventing your coach's authority. Um, I think that's I think that says something. You know, here's an interesting thing. It's funny that we break this just kind of popped into my head. So I'm calling last week, I'm calling Atlanta at Tampa. And Tom Moore, um, you know, he's coached in this league forever, right? He's eighty whatever years old he is and he was Peyton Manning's kind of offense coordinator and all this, that, and the other. And he coached under Chuck Knoll for like 13 seasons. And we were just talking pregame, you know, and just picking his brain and, and, you know, just telling stories. And and he said, you know, he goes, one time I asked Chuck Knoll, and he'd been doing it forever, and Chuck Knoll had no endorsements. He had no radio show. He didn't go, like, the only thing he would do is go to charitable events. Um, 
but he didn't do any out, anything outside of coaching. And he had won four Super Bowls, you know, and he had been like he was kind of one of the faces of, of those Steelers teams, right? And so Tom goes, Why don't you? I know there's book opportunities and I know there's endorsement opportunities and I know these companies want to use you as an endorsement. He goes, Why don't you ever do any of that? And he, go, and, and he said, Because he goes, I don't want to take away from my players. I don't ever want an opportunity to come down to, hey, we've got three choices, and it's Chuck Knoll, and it was Terry Bradshaw, and it was Joe Green. And I don't want to be the guy they choose over one of my players and my players at some point thinking that, hey, my coach is taking opportunities away from me. And I thought that that was kind of a fascinating. I thought it was a kind of a fascinating mindset, right? Like what what kind of – what messages are you sending to your team when you operate that way? And Jerry Jones is always out in front. Like, what other owner do you see out in front doing weekly press conferences? Well, how many owners are also general managers? Right. That's 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 the thing. Yeah, there aren't any. So, so I, I would just as long as that's always in place. I don't care. Well, listen. I think they're doomed to right failure. Always and, underachieve. And I've always said this about the way he's run that organization since he since he dumped um, Jimmy Jim Johnson. Johnson. Like that organization will never win, and they won't win because of the structure of the organization. When when there is always, and we say this all the time, I say about the Washington Redskins as well. When there is a back staircase to the owner's office where the players can circumvent the head coach and go directly to the owner GM and and you know, plead their case or whine about whatever. Like, your organizational structure is flawed. It's like whenever I hear these cowboy rumors, oh, hey, Lincoln Riley or uh, Urban Meyer or Sean Payton. These guys can write their own ticket. Why are they going to sign up for that? That. Yeah. No, I'm a I'm a hundred percent. So I'm a hundred percent. Yeah, you. I mean, you you may move on from Jason Garrett, and if they if they fail to win the division, I think that will happen but he did it to he did it to bill if you're going to do it to bill parcells if you're going to circumvent bill parcells authority you know if you're going to agree not to bring to into the organization the next day you show up as the coach and he's sitting in the locker <laughs> i decided that <laughs> uh, 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 it turned out that uh, to uh, 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 was uh, 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 He's really good, and uh, I just I, I I I needed him on this Thanksgiving. I am very thankful mm-hmm. for your Jerry Jones. Well, thank you. So thank I'm very you. thankful for that. Hey, how about Buffalo? I, I we just saw Buffalo. They just hammered the Broncos. You know the Broncos in their last five drives. Their last five drives. Listen closely to this, okay. folks. Okay, this is the last five drives of the game. So their offense got it five times, five drives in a row. They averaged 4.8 inches per play. You, you mean yards? 4.8 inches per play. And so we finally figured it out here in Denver because you and I both live in Denver. Um, when Vic Fangio mentioned death by inches, that's what he's talking about. He's going to kill the flan- fan base 4.8 inches at a time. <laughs> like, what a shit show oh, that was. Oh, man. How bad are they? Well, Lord have mercy. Let's let's not dwell on them, but mm-hmm. the Bills are eight and three. Yes, but as of right now, as we're talking, the combined 
win-loss record of the teams that they have beaten is 21-67. and 67. So how good are the Bills? Now we're going to find out these next are, four are weeks. We gonna, well, are we going to find out this Mid-well, week against Dallas? I, it's Dallas. It's in Dallas. It's Thanksgiving Day. It's it's a game that they, they need to have uh, to if they're going to win their division. So I, I think, yes, it, it's a good test. They, they, they go Dallas. Mm-hmm. They play Dallas, ball, uh, in, in no particular order, Dallas, Baltimore, New England, and I think the Steelers, I believe, in their yeah, next I think four you're games. Right. Yeah. So, so who are the Bills? Yeah, who were I, – I will tell you this, though, on Thanksgiving Day, and it'll be interesting. Like, if the Bills go into Dallas on Thanksgiving Day and beat the Dallas Cowboys – one Jerry Jones in that in his you know in his suite his head might just fly off like he, he might just explode and then obviously have we ever had a coach get fired on Thanksgiving day cuz i think it might happen like if that were to happen let me tell you the buffalo bills on the defensive side of the ball they're top 3 as far as yards are concerned on defense they're a top 3 scoring team against i they have, I think, they have a legitimate defense. Now, I know your counter to that is, yeah, but who have they played? I get it, but they do have a really good defense. And I'm impressed with Josh Allen. I'm impressed with some of the decisions he has made, where he has not forced the ball, where he's put the ball on target to crossing receivers on third down and long underneath, and they've been able to convert, and then he's converted third downs with his feet. He's a big, strong kid. He's got a big-time arm. He still makes some mistakes along the way. But I think he is managing the game based upon his skill set and based upon what they have on the offensive side of the ball. They're a physical group up front. They'll run the football. He'll convert some plays on third down, both arm-wise and leg-wise. They're an intriguing team to me. And I think this is going to be, for many of us, this is going to be the first look we really get at the Bills of what they are. And for the Bills, I think this has got to be an important, like this has got to be kind of their coming out party because all they have gotten, all they have heard, all you know, Bills Mafia is out there right now, one of the great fan bases in all of the National Football League, and all they have heard is, hey, you know, you guys haven't beat it. You beat Cincinnati and the Jets, you know, and Broncos and, you know, the Redskins and whoop-de-doo, Basil, who gives a crap, right? That's where they are right now. So I think this is a coming out party for the Buffalo Bills, and I think as an organization, as a team, you have to understand that. You've got to come yeah. ready to roll and ready to get that done. Yeah. As far as the other games, Chicago, Detroit, you've done a couple of Chicago games. Are mm-hmm. they, when you talk about the most disappointing teams in the NFL this year, Chicago's got to be in the top three, right? Yeah, there were so many. I mean, expect- I'd say the Rams are number one. Yeah, they are. The Rams are incredibly disappointing. Um, Chicago's got to be right there, just because you had expectations and you thought what you what you knew about the the Chicago Bears were, hey, young coach, innovative offensive mind, young quarterback should be continuing to ascend, play better. But we know one thing: we can lean on. We can lean on this stellar defense, Mike. This defense has gotten pushed around. I mean, they have got now. They lost. They lost Hicks, um, and Hicks is an outstanding football player. They lost him in a game that I was calling early 
in London against the Raiders, and then the Raiders just absolutely punched them in the lips. I mean, it was it was ugly how physically how physically they just beat them down. And then a lot of teams are going, oh, you can double team this guy, and you can double team this guy, and you can run inside, and and that's what teams have done to the Chicago Bears. So that part is really disappointing because they haven't been able to get off the field. They haven't been able to, they haven't been able to be um, dominant defensively. So. You know, something you thought you could count on. Um, but it really comes down to, for the, for the Bears, Mitch Trubisky. Mm. I mean, I've met with him several times, Mike, and it just feels like when you – it feels like, you know, the classic I say the right things and I try to act confident, but bottom line is, you know, that is like um, – you know, there's a lot of false bravado there. I, you just watch him on the field and it doesn't feel – like it translates that way. So this is an interesting time for the Chicago Bears and Mitch Trubisky because are you willing to make a mistake or are you willing to make an admission that you made a mistake or is it a mistake? Is it just a young guy that, you know, only played 13 games in college? He, I think he had 13 starts in college. You know, is it just a young guy that people have adjusted to that needs more time? I Like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but on the surface, it, it certainly looks like it might have been a mistake. Is Matt Patricia a mistake? A yet another Bill Belichick disciple that yeah. leaves the cocoon of Foxborough and just isn't the same? I just, listen, I think that the mistake that most of these guys make is they try to bring the Patriot way with them. Here's the Patriot way, guys, and this is how we're going to do it. And the Patriot way this, and the Patriot way this, and Bill Belichick did this, and we're going to do it this way. And we're going to, and I think players just get to the point where they tune you out because what you need to bring is your way. But has it been that way with Patricia? I mean, we saw it here with Josh McDaniels. It was ridiculous how much he he tried to be the little hoodie. But have you gotten that sense yes. that Patricia's the same way? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to a couple of guys that were just like this place. No, uh-uh. Um, and guys that have kind of forced their way out. Mm-hmm. So now those guys obviously have their perspective, right? Yeah. But yeah, I get that. I get that. I love. I Matt's a good dude, man. I like Matt a lot. But I just think it's really hard to come from an organization that has that kind of domineering perspective on everything, and then they have the quarterback that will allow that to continue to happen, and you come in and try to recreate that, and your players have never been exposed to it, I mean, that's just straight-up culture shock. And and I've said this forever, I really, and I believe this. If you're not authentic, if players don't look at you like you're authentic, like it's your idea, if everything comes from, you know, when we were over here or we did this, like when when that's your whole mantra, when that's all players here, you're like, dude, have you had, I don't know, one original idea, anything yours? And I, I just think, I think that just does, rubs players the wrong way. They want authenticity. They want a guy that's real. They want a guy, and I understand that you're going you're gonna to bring your experiences, and that's what creates kind of, your experiences and, and your journey, that's what creates kind of your belief system and stuff. But 
you know, at, at some point it can't be all about the Patriot way this and the Patriot way that. You know, at some point you got to have your own way. you got to find your own way. The Saints. You know, we look at this NFC picture, and it's it's going to be fun. Man, the NFC playoffs are going to be a blast. But I, I don't know. It's just something, something missing right now with the Saints. I mean, ever since, and I'm not saying it's a cause and effect, okay? Mm-hmm. I think it's just a coincidence. But ever since Drew Brees has come back, they just don't seem like the same team. I know they're still winning. Right. But it, it's funny. They, they got Brees and Kamara back, and it I don't, the defense isn't as good as it was earlier this year. And the offense, we're just so accustomed to the offense being, you know, mm-hmm. bam. And right. it just seems like it's a whole lot of Michael Thomas, and that's about it. Yeah, and uh, you know they got their tight end back, and they got Kamara back, and they've had a couple of injuries up and down the offensive line and a couple key positions. I think Armstead's going to be out for a while now. So um, they have had some issues. And you know what I would say, Mike? I would say you get Drew Brees back, and everybody breathes a sigh of relief. Like, he comes back, and you're like, whew. And Heavy so, lifting's done. Yeah. So I think I think there's a lot of, hey guys, we got to rally around Teddy Bridgewater. We got to go out here and win games. We got to go out and out physical people. We got to go out and do it. And so you have this five or six week where you're just your focus is absolutely, I mean, just pointed, right? Just laser type focus. And then all of a sudden you get your leader back. You get your guy who's in control back. And everybody just kind of breathes a sigh of relief. You know, you and I have talked about it here in Denver, about just leadership in general. And once Peyton Manning retired, like, we're like, well, where are the guys who played with Peyton Manning? Where are the guys who played with DeMarcus Ware? Why aren't those guys stepping up and taking the leadership role and taking kind of the bull by the horns? And I think everybody just goes, oh, there's our guy. We can relax. Our guy's here, you know? And nobody really develops. So all of a sudden, Peyton Manning retires, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do? And I think exactly the reverse is true here in this case is you got Drew Brees back, and you're like, whoo, thank goodness. Yeah, that's interesting. Our guy's back. You know, we can all kind of relax a little bit. It's been an intense six weeks as we, you know, went undefeated during his time away, and here we go. And I, I I think there's something to that. I think what you're going to see here is I think you're going to see a little bit of a renewed focus um, down the stretch because I think the Saints are a damn good football team. Yep. Um, so I think you'll see some of that. I, I, I do have to ask you this. How about Dwayne Haskins getting his first NFL victory and missing the kneel-down snap because he's taking a selfie? Well, you know I'd like to go off on that, but then I'm going to get the tweets that say, okay, Boomer. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. It didn't hurt anything. Right. Yeah. It's the new way of doing things. Why don't you relax, Grandpa? Get off my lawn. Right? So, you know how I feel about oh, it, but God. at the risk of uh, the Boomer assault. Hey, we would be, by the way, we'd be remiss if we... I, I, I got to get your thoughts on Lamar Jackson. Oh, my God. Because you and I, bet we do this every week, and... You know, a couple weeks ago, I said Russell Wilson was my MVP. You didn't really argue with me. But after after not only that, but what he's done the last 
Well, what the, the Ravens have done the last three weeks, they've scored over 100 points in the last three weeks, 86 in the last two weeks, and he's thrown, what, 10 touchdowns in, in three weeks? 12. 12 touchdowns, excuse me, 12 touchdowns in three weeks. I mean, they're the complete. I mean, what they did to the Rams the other day. I know the Rams are not the Rams from last year, but still, that was a beatdown. They are the, the the Baltimore Ravens are the best football team in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Can't argue and right now. The way they have built, like I get to give a lot of kudos to John Harbaugh. The way they have built that football team, Mike. One, I sat in a meeting with John Harbaugh several weeks ago before they played the Seattle Seahawks. And John told me, listen, man, we're about ready to break out. He goes, we're going to win. I believe we'll win this game against Seattle. Then we'll beat New England. And and he's like, and then we're all of a sudden, we're going to be on on the stage, right? On the national stage. People are going to take note. And a couple of different things. One, they had the wherewithal and, and the balls to say, we're all in on Lamar Jackson, and we're not going to try to make him conform to a traditional NFL offense. Screw it. Is it sustainable? I don't know. Will he get hurt? I don't know. Will he take two or three shots a game that we don't want him to take? Yep. Do do drop-back quarterbacks take two or three shots a game they don't want them to take? Yep. He said, so, you know, we'll just rely on the athleticism. Coach him to get down. Coach him to get out of bounds. Try to make sure he doesn't take that two or three shots a game that, you know, we know he's going to take, but make sure that, you know, he tries to protect himself during that time. And we're going to go with it. And we're going to revamp our entire offense. We're going to fire our offensive coordinator, and we're going to – Greg Roman is there as the quarterback's coach. We had Marty Morningwig. We're going to fire Marty Morningwig and go with Greg Roman and go, hey, dude, create a total kind of collegiate zone read, read option type of offense. We've done that. John Harbaugh told me, point blank, there hasn't been a passing concept that has been new in this league for 20 years. 20 years. So we're creating concepts in the running game that people don't know how to defend that have never seen. I'll give him another thing. They have built their offensive line. They have gone out and drafted offensive linemen. They've gone out and developed offensive linemen, and they've got three beastly tight ends that they've drafted. They've gotten Mark Andrews. They've got Nick Boyle, who is a freaking man. Nick Boyle is the actuator of that offense that nobody knows about. Um, and they've got, uh, what's the guy's name, Hayden Hurst as well. All of them are 270. All of them can block. All of them can run. They bludgeon you defend- offensively. And then they went out with Wink Martindale and said, okay, now let's build a defense that's complementary to that. So what's the complementary nature of offense and defense? All right, our offense is a ball control. We run the football. Third down and six is a running down for us. We convert. We do all these things, right? We eat up clock. Have you seen their drives, their first drive in the last however many games? They, they score a touchdown every time they get the ball on their first drive. Hell, they, they against the Rams, they scored six straight touchdowns on six drives. They were six for six on their first six drives. So they said, we're going to control the clock. We're going to – and when we get up on you by seven or we get up on you by ten, you feel – as the opposing team, you feel like you're up by you're you're down by 21. That's what you feel like because you know we're going to possess it, we're going to run the football, we're going to eat up you know time of possession, and in a normal game where you get 12 opportunities with the football, you may get eight against us, maybe seven. So now all of a sudden you're down by 10 and you're like shit. We got four drives left, guys, and we're in you know we're in the 
late in the second quarter. That's what we feel like, right? We got four to five drives left. We got to score every time we have the ball. And so defensively, what they've said is, okay, here's what we're going to do. We know that you feel like you're way down and that you have to throw it because you know how offensive coordinators are in this league. They're looking for an excuse not to run the ball. Offensive coordinators in this league, because you know how you get head coaching job? You're a young, innovative genius throwing the football and developing a quarterback. I mean, that gives 80-year-old owners stiffies, right? That is like Viagra to 80-year-old owners. Oh, look, look, honey. <laughs> My wiener's standing up. That's what it is. I got a young offensive that's mind. That's an image I did not need right, right now. So, I mean, that's what that's what it is, right? And so what ends up happening is you're down by seven, you're down by three, and the offensive corner is like, all right, free reign to throw it every single time. And when you watch them, they get in man, they get in zero coverage, uh, Earl Thomas told me, I know one thing about Wink Martindale. This is what I've learned. That's the defense coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Anytime we're in doubt, anytime it's a pressure situation, we're going zero. It's man-to-man across the board, boys. Let's bring more than they can block. And you're getting seven, eight, man. I mean, you're just getting the house. You're getting what they call the kitchen sink blitz. We're bringing everything. And they have be- built their football team to complement one another on the offense and the defensive side of the ball. And, of course, John Harbaugh is an old special teams coach, right? So they're going to play lights-out special teams as well because he's going to demand it. It's the best football team in the National Football League, and there's nobody that is built to defend it. They don't know how to defend it. They can't practice to defend it. It just comes well, to, it just comes down to if you don't get behind and you don't turn the ball over, you don't fumble the ball, you don't get behind – there's nobody in the AFC that can compete with them. Well, New England had their shot. They got they got beat up pretty good. I guess now San Francisco. See what San Francisco can do. I mean, that's the other in-your-face defense, and they get a shot at them this week. Right. So we'll see. That'll be an interesting. Like that'll be interesting because, like I said, if you can get a couple of stops, right? If you can get a couple of stops, and maybe you create a turnover, then you can be, you can be. I mean. And Harbaugh said this to me, like, we're not built to come from behind. <laughs> That's not what our game – our game is not built to come from – our game is to play with the lead and then just continue to put the pressure on you. So, we'll see. We'll see exactly how that goes. But I'm telling you, they are they are legit, man. Absolutely legit. So, they are a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to watch play football. And anyhow, with that said, man, I, I just can't wait to watch a bunch of football, oh, eat a bunch of turkey. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah, Appreciate your uh, support of the podcast. We really do. That's for uh, everybody involved with the Stinking Truth Podcast. For Mike, myself, for Scott, we appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you again next week.